All right, welcome everybody to the year that was dot dot dot. I'm your host, Aaron Maxson, along with my brother, Nate. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Yeah, we'll white trash it up. <laughs> and then our other co-host for the evening is Archie Mitchell. Hello, Archie. Hey, yo. Hey, yo. Um, if you guys are not aware of what this show is, um, it is a calendar year discussion of the major promotions and the year we're discussing is 1997 so we are discussing um the wcw and wwf of 97 um so we're basically talking about the pay-per-views and um nitros and raws from that year um the last show we discussed was the canadian stampede which was a great pay-per-view. Um, yeah, pay-per-view. A very, very good pay-per-view. We're not going to um, discuss it too much, obviously, because we already talked about it. But in case you guys did not listen, um, on that show, it was Mankind versus Triple H, would end, which ended in a uh, no contest. Um, the great Sasuke beat Takamichinoku. Um the Undertaker defeated Vader. Those are some of the highlights from it. But there was also the big um, 10-man tag from that show. And it was the Hart Foundation, which was obviously Bret Hart, Owen Hart, Jim Neidhart, Davey Boy Smith, and Brian Pillman versus Austin, Shamrock, Goldust, and the Legion of Doom. And that ended... With Owen rolling up Steve Austin for the one, two, three. So that's how that show ended. And um, unless you guys have anything else you want to say on that, we'll move into um, the Monday night after that. The only thing that I'll chime in with, uh, just because I wasn't on last week's episode, um, one of my favorite moments in wrestling is after that match when the entire Hart family get into the ring. And if you're a, a longtime fan that watched it live, you didn't notice, but now you do. You see young Natalia and young Teddy Hart in the ring with them. So it's like, you know, 10 to 15 years before either one of them is about to make a debut. But you see them there respecting Brett, the whole family's, you know, in an uproar. And Brett is getting a hero's cheer. And so is Owen. In Canada, so I, I love that whole part of that match. Yeah, that's kind of like when you watch Starcade '93 and there's Charlotte as a little girl. Oh, and Reed's kid. What's that? Well, Reed's in there and David's yeah. in there, and and um um the damn it the Slamboree. With the Hall of Fame and Dusty's got Cody with them, and there's a little Cody, yeah, little, little Cody yeah. Rhodes. <laughs> oh and, God, we're old. <laughs> and, and not, and not to make it melodramatic, but um, I will also say that um, it does suck about the news that I read about Arn Anderson. Yes, yes it does. It really I don't does. know. I don't. I don't know what caused that, and I don't know if that's been out there, but. No, it hasn't even been mentioned yet. I don't know if they have an autopsy report or anything like that. So, I don't have any kids, but you shouldn't have to bury your kids. No, exactly. 
and that sucks. But uh, I, the, 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 it was sad to hear it yesterday and the day before that. And like I like you said, Aaron, they haven't mentioned what happened, which it really doesn't matter what happened because God rest his soul. He was like 36, 37 years old. That's younger than me. He was 39. That's what I read. He's 39. I saw 37, but maybe you might be right. Maybe I read it wrong. I just read it. It's like, that's a year younger than fucking me. And I right. I'm, I'm older than these people. It had been, it's really upsetting. So, yeah. Um, it made me not do what I was going to do with this show because I like tally the amount of people that are no longer with us on this show. And I was just going right. to try to do that with saying, um, not being morbid with it, but how, how time is where you're like, oh, you don't look at time, but like this is only 97. And right. I, I, I'm not going to go over the people that aren't, but there's like 14 people on this show that aren't alive anymore. And that's fucking Aaron, Aaron, you mentioned Canadian Stampede. Um, 90% of the Hart Foundation is no longer with us. And then on the other side of the ring, the, the LOD aren't with us. So look at that. Six members of a 10-man tag are no longer with us. Yeah, it's just, it's insane. Ridiculous. Yeah. So, so like I was saying, um, this is going through the calendar year of 97, um, month to month, day, like week to week. Um, if you're listening to the show and you don't want spoilers, which I don't, if, if you listen to <laughs> Yeah, but if you're like 15 and you don't want to know what happens, just go back to the beginning. Or if you just want to (laughs) discuss it, go back to the beginning and start with episode one. But if not, that's fine. We're going to kick it off. I I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but there's about to be a boom of boy bands. One's called the Backstreet Boys. There's NSYNC. There's gonna be this. There's gonna be. There's gonna be this. There's gonna be this Britney Spears girl. This guy Eminem. Yeah, uh, Britney Spears is fucking amazing. Um, like, yeah. There's a lot of. There's a lot of good shit happening, and entertainment wise, um, there's good movies. There, I should bring the movie thing back. I might do that next week, but what we're doing is we are rolling into the WCW Nitro and the WWF Raw um, after the the Sunday uh, Calgary Stampede in your house. So we are rolling into July 7th, 1997. And the first show we are going to discuss is WCW Nitro. It's at the Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee. All right. Um, they recap last week with Sting backing down the NWO with his bat but also um, showing the debuts of Raven and Kurt Hennig and the big question is who is DDP's DDP's um, partner at the um the Great American Bash. That's what they're asking. Who is the impact player? So we don't know yet. Is it and when we show up in a limo. 
Or maybe a Hummer. I'm just kidding. Yeah. That's awesome. how everybody shows I'm up. Just, just being, I'm just being sarcastic. WCW. Everybody shows up. They, they, you, know, they, you know what's bad? In, in 97, <laughs> we'd get like, it would be like every four to five months, a fancy limousine or car or whatever would pull up. Now it's like every week there's a limo parked outside or a, yeah. an SUV. It's like, damn, can't anybody just get to the arena on time? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Eric. <laughs> That's fine. I, like, I want you guys to talk about it. It'll add time to the show and it, it adds intrigue. Yeah, and- I mean, like I said, it was a it was a rare thing. Like, oh, who's here? Oh, there's a limo here. I wonder who it is. Now it's like, oh, okay, Roman Reigns showed up. No big deal, you know. But it's like um, two weeks ago that when I discussed it or we discussed it, it was actually a good um, ending segment for a Nitro because they yeah. they they brought out. They brought out Sting, who's their most over guy, you know, and they unveiled two characters right all at the same time of and it added intrigue um, of who is going to be DDP's partner. Um, so they show you that. And then right at the top of the show, Mean Gene brings out Kurt Hennig for an interview. Gene questions Hennig. Um about his intentions in WCW and his role at the Great American Bash, and um, says that Hennig says that he'll be involved that night, but says he's a free agent. And then Ric Flair shows up while Kurt's talking, and um, um, basically is trying to recruit Hennig into being a four horseman and Hennig doesn't accept, but doesn't turn him down. He's basically just like, I just got here. I'm a free agent right now. Everybody's talking to me, but I'm not gonna, I'm not going to say who I'm affiliated with. Why would I want to be a horseman anyway? They make you guys look like goofs every week. We didn't say that, but he's just like, Hennig's basically playing the field. He's he's accepting. Um, he hasn't he hasn't said he's going NWO. He hasn't said he's going WCW, and he hasn't said he's going full Horseman. He's just he's just there right now. He's, like you yeah, said, he's, he's playing the field. He's leaving his options open. And yeah. I, I thought this was a great storyline, but I find it odd that only the Horsemen were courting him. Like, had they had, like, J.J. Dillon coming up to him in the backstage area going, you know, I hope you're going to stay with WCW and just be, you know, a flag bearer because Sting's not here, Lex is hurt, this, that, you know what I mean? And then had Eric Bischoff saying, you know, we got the big money, uh, your buddies are here, you know, it, it only made, it made no sense that it was just the horseman going, you got to join us. Right. You know. That's all I said. Oh, go ahead, Nate. Sorry. I was going to say, in the grand scheme of things, that makes the horseman look desperate. Right. (laughs) So, the opening match of Nitro is the Public Enemy versus the Harlem Heat with Sister Sherry. Um, My dog's freaking out. Sorry. Um, You're good. My first note is, the only thing worse 
then Public Enemy and ECW is Public Enemy and WCW. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, Public Enemy and WCW was completely worthless. That gimmick only worked in ECW. You know, it was the whole way they, they painted them, too. Like, they had those crazy-looking jerseys on because if you're used to them in ECW like we are, they had actual football or hockey or baseball jerseys on when they were coming to the ring. Here were these paper mache looking things like a five year old druid, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then they 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 used the table in regular matches, so they ultimately got disqualified ninety percent of the time. It was just weird. It was it was like why would you convolute two guys that just come out and fight? You know. Yeah, I just I hate the public enemy. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Um, during this match, um, Vincent ends up getting involved, which um, Vincent has a storyline going with the Harlem Heat that he keeps getting involved because Vincent is attempting to keep the Harlem Heat away from the outsiders, but they're not explaining it well enough on the show. Um, Pete, Public Enemy ends up getting a pinfall on Stevie Ray after Sherry... Um, uh, messes up shoving Rocco into Stevie Ray by mistake, and it's a stupid finish. And then, um, post match, Mean Gene interviews Harlem Heat and Sherry. Harlem Heat is upset with Sherry, and uh, Sherry Martell um, ends up arguing with the Harlem Heat, and they get mad at her and they fire her. I think she's gone. Yeah, she's she gone. Yeah, I think she's done. And I think this, if it's not the last, it's very close to the last appearance of Sherry and WCW. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure this is it for her. Which is a shame. Well, she was great with Public Enemy and her stuff. We've talked about it before. Her stuff with Colonel Robert Parker, Parker was priceless. Mm-hmm. So, you know. And then we, unless you guys have anything else on that, um, we get a hype video for Chris Benoit versus Kevin Sullivan. Uh, it's the career versus career match, the Great American Bash that's coming up. Um, and then we roll into um, Joe Gomez versus K Dog. <laughs> Yeah, that was, that was great. Yeah, right. That happened. Uh, <laughs> here, here's Tycho's random match of the week on WCW Monday Nitro. <laughs> Archie dropped off. Um, we get a recap of Conan breaking Rey Mysterio's leg. Um, Ray's out with his injury. Um, excuse me. Recap. That's okay. Um, if you didn't remember what we were talking about, it's still this Joe Gomez Conan match. Yeah, yeah, great, uh, great match. <laughs> yeah. Um, they recap Conan <laughs> breaking Ray's leg after the match that Nash and Mysterio had, and um, they show Raven out in the crowd and talking about is he still the impact? Is he one of the impact players or the impact player or whatever? Um, and Conan ends up 
winning via submission with his tequila sunrise. There's not a lot to talk about in that match. I'm sure you guys don't have anything else. Right? No. No, no I'm good. That would be Joe Nomez. Joe Nomez. Um, the next match is Viano four and five versus Uvi and Hector Garza. Um, it is what it is. It's a it's a good match. I'm not gonna knock anybody that's in it. Um, apparently WCW is putting together a match for the Great American Bash, but they haven't told us who's in it. Um. Garza hits some high impact moves and ends up hitting that um, impressive corkscrew plancha that he does outside the ring. Yes, it's a it's a good looking move, but it's a repetitive move, and kind of we've seen it enough. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's one of those moves that that that. It's like what do I want to say? It's the kind of move that you should only use when you're when you're like having a big match, not in every match, because it's the kind of move where in every match it wouldn't so happen that somebody was in position for it. If that makes sense, yeah, like everybody is outside the ring at the same time, so now I'm gonna hit it, you know? Yeah, right. I got I my partner like, and my enemy. I feel like Eric saw it once at a house show and was like, oh, we got to do this all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. Yep, without a doubt. Um, and um, the ending of the match is Uvi and Garza over the Vianos when Uvi hits his 450 splash. So that's how that one ended. Let me turn the page. Um. Then we get Mike, Tony, and Larry hyping what is coming up. The NWO comes out. It's Scott Hall, Macho Man, Liz. They come out and go to the booth. Tony and Mike run away, but Larry Larry (coughs) refuses to leave. Hall and Savage talk about the Great American Bash and their match against DDP and the Unknown Partner. They call me a known partner, but WCW is calling the impact player. They cut their promo and Hall um, fucks around with Larry Zabisco as they leave. And Larry Zabisco isn't having any of it. And um, Savage holds, holds, I'm putting quotation marks, Hall back from fighting with Larry Zabisco. And they're doing a very good and, and and I'm not being sarcastic when I say this, they're doing a very good um, angle with Hall and Zabisco. Oh yeah. The buildup for this was fantastic. And um, Zabisco is not afraid of Hall, but Hall's a little afraid of Zabisco. And and um, Larry's doing a good job of not right away saying that, oh, when Hall was uh, coming to the business, I beat him up. You know? Right. <laughs> and, and, and 
it's an example of Scott Hall gets a lot of discredit for maybe not being the the best citizen. You know what I mean? Right. But that dude had enough respect to take care of the people that got him to where he was at. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and and he did that with Dusty, and he did it with Larry. The most and, important, the most important thing to remember about this story is it's it's a subliminal thing too. You don't. You, the point is here's here's my interpretation of what they did with this. The point is the NWO are what the NWO are bullies. And the NWO bully people around, and when they're when they come at you in mass, people back off or they get scared because they're bullies. The reason Scott Hall's a little scared of Larry Zabisco is because Larry Zabisco will not be bullied by these motherfuckers. And it's like, well, this right. old man, this old man will not back down. Like yeah, because, it, it, it works with everybody else, but not this guy. And it's because Larry bullied him back in the day. You know what I mean? Like, like Larry's just like, fuck this kid. You know, <laughs> beat him up in the AWA. Fuck him. You know what I mean? But yeah. but they didn't come right out and say it. Like, this is actually good storytelling. Yeah. I agree. Um, so after that, unless you guys have anything else on that situation. Nope. Um, we get footage from World War III with Lex Luger going against the NWO and then the Giant giving him a chance to face Hogan at Spring, in, at, at the Spring Stampede match. And then we get the um, we get more footage from the, the ESPN fight between Hogan, Rodman, and the Giant. They're just... They're just trying to get fucking their shit back on fucking sports center or whatever. And then we get, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Buff Bagwell and Scott Steiner with Vincent versus Eddie Guerrero and Chavo Guerrero. And, um, sorry, I'm lost in my notes. Um, I wrote New Year, New Me, because when I was doing these notes, I was just like trying to be trying to be more polite about some of the wrestlers that I've knocked. I was trying to like take Nate's route where he's like, ah, Ronnie Garvin wasn't half bad, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm never gonna I'm never going to here's the perspective. I'm never going to be like, you know what? I'm going to sit down tonight and I'm going to watch all Ronnie Garvin. No, but, but I am, I am willing to look through history and see, okay, why, why was this guy that I'm not necessarily a fan of popular with these people? I guess I see it. I still, I still contend that trucker hat Ronnie Garvin stinks. But other than that, like I don't loathe I don't loathe Ronnie Garvin anymore. Okay. okay. Well, that's what I was trying. I figured out what I was doing with these notes. I put New Year, New Me, and I try to do that with Buff. 
because I, I was never a huge Buff Bagwell fan. But my notes, I decided I'm not a huge Marcus Bagwell singles wrestler fan. But I, I like Marcus Bagwell as a tag team wrestler. He's enjoyable. he's enjoyable with Too Cold. He's enjoyable with the Patriot. He's enjoyable here with Scott Norton, which we're rolling into a we're rolling into a Scott Norton Buff Bagwell match. Like if he's the partner of the guy, I don't mind him. See, for me, and I mean we don't go too deep in the weeds, but for me, I'm a I'm a man of two. I'm a tale of two cities on Buff Bagwell because I am a fan. I am a fan of Marcus Alexander Bagwell, the young baby face, like you said, and his tag teams. But just even when he was like rookie of the year in WCW and stuff, I'm a fan of that, but I'm not a big fan of Buff Bagwell. So I'm a fan of him when he's a toady. Right. See, I'm with I'm with Aaron on this. I'm I've never been a huge Buff Bagwell fan. Or Marcus Bagwell, for that matter, or the handsome stranger, didn't really matter. But I will say that when he was in a tag team, he was enjoyable because, and I, Aaron, you could knock me for it, but even with Scotty Riggs, they were actually a decent males tag team, and their song was pretty badass. So, oh, the American Males theme song was yeah. terrible. <laughs> no, it was not. Come on now. That was horrible. <laughs> it was one step below Hogan's American Made song. <laughs> and that's dog shit. Right. That's what I'm saying. That's grabbing the turd at the white end. Like. <laughs> but anyway, like, we got lost in the weeds on that. But it's Buff Bagwell and Scott Norton with Vincent versus Eddie Guerrero and Chavo Guerrero. Um, Vicious and Delicious, I believe, was the tag team name. Yes. Um, before the match starts, Eddie tries to tell Chavo that he's just trying to toughen him up. And um, at the start of the match, um, they... Um, cut back to the to the to the driveway or whatever the the entrance of the arena and they show a limo surprise surprise pulling up and as soon as the camera tries to see who's in the limo the limo drives away um buff and chavo start the match both guerreros try to take out norton um, but he suplexes both of them at the same time. After Norton displays his power, Eddie tries to pretend he didn't tag, but um, Buff slaps him in the face. Like basically, the story of this match is Buff and Eddie are trying to be like shitty heels at the same time. Um, then Eddie tags out to Chavo as he's getting double teamed, and then. Um, Like, Eddie's getting beat up by Scott and Buff, and he tags Chavo to get out of the double team, and then he just leaves. And he leaves 
he leads Chavo to get beat up by the NWO. Um, and then Buff ends up hitting the blockbuster on um, Chavo and pinning him one, two, three. So I might have got lost in the weeds on the story. But what the story is, is that Eddie is leaving his nephew out there to get the shit kicked out of him. And he's trying to say that he's doing it to toughen up his nephew. But what he's really doing is just letting his nephew take his beatings that he doesn't want to take. Does that make sense? Yeah. This was just before Chavo snaps, right? Not like just before, but like a couple months, yeah. Yeah, we're getting there. Um, so it's telling a decent story, but it's, it's, it's turning Eddie heel and heel Eddie's better than face Eddie. Oh, definitely. So I'm enjoying it. And, and it's like Arch said, we're getting a Chavo turn a little crazy and, and that's actually a fun story. Of Eddie turning his fucking nephew so crazy that Eddie's like, oh shit, what's going on with this guy? Right. So now, hour number two of Nitro starts. Larry Zabisco re- refuses to leave, and Bobby Heenan is upset because um, he has to stand now. <laughs> like, Bobby's like, get the fuck out of here. And <laughs> I don't want to leave. And Bobby's like, I just got to stand here. Um, and um, so that that's what's going on there. Um, so then we roll into the um, that situation happening. And Randy Savage comes out. And he's bitching because all of this is going on. And... Um, we're going to roll into our next match. It's La Parca versus Randy Savage with Liz and Scott Hall. Um, we show footage of La Parca um, fucking up Super Calo a few weeks ago with the chair. Um, Savage and Hall talk shit to, the, to Sabisco on the way to the ring. Um, Savage... Um, Keeps arm dragging um, La Parca and stalling, um, and then sends Scott Hall away. Like he's like, "Get away! I don't need you because I'm I'm wrestling La Parca, So go fuck with Larry Zabisco, and then um, Savage goes for his elbow drop, but La Parca gets his feet up. As Savage goes for his um, um, elbow drop. So now his chin's been hit. He's staggered. And um, La Parca gets the diamond cutter on Randy Savage and pins him one, two, three. And rips his mask off. And guess who La Parca is? La Page. La Page. <laughs> yes. So La Parca is Diamond Dallas, Diamond Dallas Page. And it's 
I know Nate doesn't like to give a lot of credit to WCW, but it's one of the coolest things they ever did. It's one of the best reveals of a mass man. I mean, the fact that nobody questioned because Paige and LaParka had the same build, basically. But yeah, like LaParka is like LaParka is like the biggest luchador, so right. he was he was the perfect one to to be right. you know to be the the facade of 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 DDP. And the only other thing I have to say about this is uh, the NWO. I always liked it when the NWO guys would break off into uncommon um, groups. Like, you know, usually you got Hogan and Savage together and I know they're not together yet. They're not there yet, but you got, you got, you got Kurt Henning and and Rick Rude together. You got Vicious and Delicious together. You got Hall and Nash together. uh, DiBiase's with Hogan and Bischoff. I like it when they break them. Like it's, it's fun to see like, like why are, it's it's Randy Savage and Scott Hall are like a little unit right now. Right, you know? it's almost like they it was they were picking and choosing like clicks, like actual clicks in high school or whatever. Like, hey, I'm not really in the mood for Hogan today. I'm gonna hang out with Scott. Yeah, you know? I, I, would, I just I would like it when they would do that. It would just be like you know, it'd be like ah oh, tonight Scott Hall's hanging out with like Six and Vincent, you know, or whatever. Right, like, right. Here, here's Scott Hall, Buff. And uh Conan, it would be no no sense. Like, why are you three hanging out together? <laughs> but I, I, I like the name. I thought it was you cool ever see, that. Do you remember the Nitro when they kick? Uh, they actually kick. I think it was yeah, Kurt Henning out. Uh, I mean, we're far away from that. We're still like two years or somewhat, but. Stevie Ray's trying to jump everybody up on the end of it. Like, we don't even travel with them. They take jets, they take limos. Meanwhile, we got to get Ford yeah. Escort and the rent yeah. the car. And then all of a sudden, he runs for help. And he's like, this guy's been talking about you all day. Kurt Henning wants out of the end of it. And then they totally annihilate yes. Kurt Henning. Yes. And then the offshoot group of Brian Adams, Stevie Ray, and Vincent get back in the car and drive off. And they're in their, like, in, the the, yeah, in their, in their rent, in their rented cutlass. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I always, that was like what, like you said, those offshoot groups that would come out of it. And then you'd be weirded out when they ended up like mixing and matching. <laughs> it's fun stuff. But yeah, DDP revealing himself did that. When he hit, when Parker hit the diamond cutter, I'm sure everybody went, what the hell's he doing? Oh shit. You know? So it was, it was a good, good reveal. So yeah, and, and like I said, I um I I'm a huge '97 fan, and um it's a am I gonna say it was better than what the WWF was doing? No, but it's also a good glimpse into that. Yeah, you didn't maybe like what they were doing as much as the WWF at the time, but there was still good shit in there. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, it's a thousand times better than anything today. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. So we got DDP as LaParka fucking up Randy Savage, and that's how that ended. And... It's so silly because it's like, oh, that just that shit just happened, <laughs> which was insane and entertaining. And then we're gonna roll into um, Silver King and Psychosis with Sonny Ono versus Glacier and Ernest Miller. Right. 
Um, and as that match is going on, the camera cuts to Eddie Guerrero and Chavo Guerrero brawling backstage. Um, Tanae says that Guerrero has been um, basically lying the last two years and putting over more about the fact that the nice Eddie Guerrero, like this is actually a cool storyline that, that doesn't get enough credit. And it's it's really Mike today, like doing it on. I I don't I want to say he's doing it on doing it on his own, but I think he's he's selling it better than anybody else is. Mm-hmm. How um, Eddie came into the company as being this this white meat baby face. But saying this is the Eddie that I've always known. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I was shithead in Mexico, and all y'all were like, oh, he's so nice and he's handsome and he's and he's doing this, that, and the other thing. And Tanae's like, I've been watching this guy for like five or six years, and he's been a prick (laughs) beyond the border, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's what they're showing. But this match is going on, and um, um, Mortis ends up getting involved and uh, attacking the cat, and then Wrath ends up attacking Glacier, and we don't really get a result of this match. It was just getting, um, it was getting, um, gla- it was getting the Glacier and the cat feud with Mortis and wrath over and also showing the Guerreros fighting because they're showing the the fighting Guerreros. It was what it was. Pretty much. <laughs> much. Um, then Mean Gene brings out Ric Flair um, um, and he's he's Dressed as Ric Flair. He's wearing weird Ric Flair. 96 Ric Flair is dressed like... like He's not dressed cool. Or nine, not 96. 97 Ric Flair is not dressed cool. Like He's not wearing rings and good glasses and Rolex watches and shit. He's, he's, he's like Yacht Rock Ric Flair. I don't like it. Um... But he brings out a Roddy Piper statue, um, and he like starts talking shit to the statue. Flair says Piper is a punk and a second-rate movie star, and calls him stiff. And then, as Flair is talking shit to the mannequin Piper, Piper shows up. Behind Flair, who doesn't know he he's there, and then he realizes he's behind him, and then he notices, and they both brawl to the ring, and they brawl, and Piper ends up um, stripping Flair of his clothes, and then Piper gets a sleeper, and Mongo and Benoit come out and overtake Piper. So that makes sense what I said. Yes, and 97 Ric Flair is district manager Ric Flair. Yeah, <laughs> and he's trying to still do 
the same angle he did in ninety in in nineteen seventy nine. Like he's trying to do what he did with like Steamboat, and then he also did with who else stripped him of his clothes? Um, Steamboat and. Was it there was Dusty, wasn't it? I think so. I don't know. I just for some reason I envisioned Dusty and Flair in an arena in one of those arenas that Crockett would go to. That like the arena was also like a theater, so there's like a stage. I don't know why. I'm just envisioning that in my head and Ric Flair getting his tux ripped off or his suit ripped off. So I think it was Dusty. Don't quote me though. I know he did it at least two times with Steamboat, but you know what I'm saying? Like, where he's got <laughs> off, and now he's down to his black socks, and he's running around in his fucking boxers and all that shit. Like, he's still doing that in fucking 97, and now he's doing it with Pipe. <clears throat> it, it just didn't work for him. And he's still doing it in 2023. And one of the beatdowns before his last match with Jay Lethal and, and uh, uh, Jeff Jarrett. At the promo, he delivered bloody and whatever. His pants were ripped, his shirt was ripped off. So, it's I guess he likes being nude or something to the effect of when he's in a feud. You know, if you rip my likes clothes to, off, it'll add more realism. He likes to be nude in a feud. Yeah, there you go. Well, if I was his age, I'd probably be like nude too. <laughs> but anyway, that's what ha- that's what happened in that segment. Um, So I don't think we have anything else on that, right? Nope. So we're but we're going into um, the Great American Bash. This is setting up basically that Piper is going to fight Flair at the Great American Bash, um, and that's stemming off of um, it, it, I don't want to say it. I enjoy that WCW does long-term storytelling, but they don't do enough to remind you of what they're doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, like, I agree. like they didn't remind us. Like if I would tell you guys, Oh, remember at the last pay-per-view that, um, Flair abandoned Piper when he was fighting the NWO. Right. You guys remember that? Yep. But I do remember it. Right. In like 97, did you remember that? Probably not. Probably not. But No, because they had so many different matches. There was Flair, Flair, Piper, and Kevin Green. Then just Flair and Piper. Then Flair and Piper again at a a Clash of the Champions. Then Flair and Piper on a Nitro. So they kind of all ran together. Then it was like, wait, when did he turn on him? You know what I mean? When did this feud start? As as, as as, as much as, um, I didn't mean to cut you off, Archie, but. No, no, no. As much as WCW was part of a conglomerate and part of literally a television company, WWF was always better at doing wrestling on television. Right. Yep. You know, say the fuck what you want about Kevin Dunn. You know what I mean? He put he's put on the best yeah. wrestling television show in the uh, programs over the past forty years. Maybe the maybe the story quality hasn't been the best. Or maybe we haven't enjoyed it all, but when it's a, when you look at it as a television product, it is a solid television product. Yeah, watch WrestleMania 14 
They knew nobody was watching that shit. So they were like, every fucking match is going to have a goddamn mini movie before it. <laughs> right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not a WCW mini movie. Not Sting Invader on a beach against, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a real right. mini movie. Yeah. So after that fiasco, Mike Denae tries to interview Raven again. Um, and then it's interrupted. <laughs> by stevie richards who is now debuting stevie richards says nobody talks to raven but me richard tries to interview raven about signing with wcw and saying oh i put this in your contract put that in your contract and then um raven ends up smacking stevie richards instead of signing a contract and walks away yep that's how that happened. You know, I think poor Stevie would have benefited more by staying in ECW without Raven being there and becoming one of the main stars instead of following him to WCW. Because he didn't really do anything. Yeah, he did jack shit in WCW. Um, so, that... Like, unless you guys have anything on that segment. Nope. Um, yeah, Chris Benoit and, Ma- and, and I almost said Mango. <laughs> Chris Benoit and Mongo with Deborah versus the Steiner Brothers are up next. My dog is loose in his fucking mind. <laughs> Sorry. He just wants uh, to be on the show. I think he wants to go out, but he's, so he's have... barking about his displeasure of Mongo being a, a horseman just as much as I do. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. He's laying back down. Um, the next match is Chris Benoit and Mongo McMichael with Deborah. Um, Versus the Steiner brothers. And um, in my opinion, and I uh, and I kind of have an opinion on this because this is the main event of the match and there's a lot of shit that goes on. Um, and I don't have a lot of notes about the match itself. What I put was that I think, Arch, we've done a lot of like, um, and a lot of people have done like Mount Rushmore's. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, yeah, like oh, this is the this is the Mount Rushmore of this or the Mount Rushmore of that, right? I think the Steiner brothers. To be on the Mount Rushmore of anybody's talking Mount Rushmore, yeah. Without it, for for me, it's it's LO, it's demolition, LOD, the Steiner brothers, and maybe as a, a fourth, if if we need four, the Hart Foundation, because all four of those tag teams revolutionized a point of tag team wrestling. So. Yeah, I mean I the Steiner. The Steiners would be on mine because mine would be the Steiners, the Hart Foundation, the Midnight Express, and and Demolition. So, for me, 
you know. So, Arch, 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 what was what was yours? Uh, Demolition, LOD, uh, Steiner's, and Hard Foundation. And Nate, what was yours? Mine would be my personal tag team. Mount Rushmore is the Steiners, the Hart Foundation, the Midnight Express, and Demolition. And that's not taking anything away from other tag teams. Those are just my four favorite. All right. Can I tell what? you guys what, what my four were? Go ahead. As I wrote this, um, it was the Steiners, the Hart Foundation, the Bulldogs, and the Rock and Roll Express. There you go. Nothing wrong can't, with that. can't argue with it. You know, like I said, I mean, every team that we met that the three of us mentioned is fantastic. Yeah. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, then when you're limiting it, limiting it to four, it just comes down to personal preference. Right. And you can't deny that when the rock and roll, even till today, the rock and roll express appear on a card and people flock to go see it, you know, and then you look at the Steiners and yeah, they were great singles wrestlers too, but their, their time as the Steiner brothers all over the world, they were a decorated tag team. And then, you know, the Midnight Express, they personified tag team wrestling. So there's no reason for the, those guys, any of those teams not to be on a Mount, Mount Rushmore. I agree. But this I'll, menu... I'll give a... If I, if I get to... If I, if, I, if I get to carve a little... A little, a little, a little, a little rush down on the bottom. Just as a fifth, I'd probably put Harlem Heat there. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. But I, I put that in there. But, but um, um, during this match, the commentated team mentions that the Steiners have to um, face. Uh, Chono and Muda at the at the Great American Bash to get a shot at the Outsiders. Um, the camera cuts to some insane jump cut of Randy Savage um, brawling with Nick Patrick in the backstage. Savage is running around. Um, um, Scotty ends up hitting a Mongo with a belly to belly off the top rope, and Benoit hits a swan dive. On Scotty, um, and as soon as he hits the mat, like I don't want to say it, like Mongo, oh, shit, I fucked it up. Sorry, Scotty hits this, um, fucking belly to belly, and um, and as soon as as soon as he hits that, Rick hits a hits a fucking um, headbutt on him, um. It was a good fucking move. Anyway, uh, Mongo tags in Benoit. Jeff Jarrett attacks. Um, Jeff Jarrett comes out and attacks Mongo. Um, then Jimmy Hart comes out um, and distracts Benoit. Sullivan ends up smashing Kevin Su as Jimmy Hart distracts. Ben Wallace, Sul Sullivan hits him with a chair, and Rick Steiner pins Benoit. Sorry, I kind of stumbled over all of that, but basically the story of it is is uh, Jarrett got involved because he's feuding with Mongo, obviously, because that's been going on for 50 fucking years, it feels <laughs> like. And, and Battle for who's going to be the worst horseman ever. 
Yeah. Or, and, and who's cock holding who? I don't fucking right. <laughs> And as, uh, as that's going on, Jimmy Hart distracted Benoit and Sullivan smashed Benoit with a chair, which that's actually an entertaining feud is Benoit and, and Sullivan. Yeah, that could have went on for years. Nobody would care. That would have been yeah. great. And um, Rick Steiner ends up pinning Benoit off of Sullivan getting involved. So the winners are the Steiner brothers. So that's how that ended. You, uh, you know what that whole segment in that tells me? As, as when I watched it back, and when I, when, even watching it as a kid, the horseman had way too much shit going on. Because you had Flair feuding with Piper. Mongo feuding with Jared, Benoit feuding with Sullivan. They're trying to court Kurt Henning to come in, but also they're feuding with the NWO. Yeah, it's so a lot. It was way too much for the horsemen. So the Steiners end up winning that match because of a bunch of shit. And then the NWO music hits, and Eric Bischoff brings out Hulk Hogan. And it's the typical Eric Bischoff, Hulk Hogan promo where they're like, like they're kind of sucking each other off. Um, Look at these pythons, brother. Yeah. And they talk about the Great American Bash against um, Luger and the Giant. Luger and Giant confront Hogan, who backs off. And then the NWO um, tries to attack, but they fight. But Luger and Giant fight them off. And then. Luger and Giant beat up Eric Bischoff and Hogan backs away. And that's how Nitro goes off the air. With Eric Bischoff taking taking beating. Yes. <laughs> and um the only the last note I have is whose promos sucked off who more? Um Vince to Sean or Bischoff to Hogan? Bischoff to Hogan. I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm an HBK fan, and even I'd have to say it might be a tie. I guess I would say Bischoff to Hogan, just because there were there were there were more, and they were they were more connected as an act. I guess. Right. Right. So yeah, like Bischoff to Hogan right. come Bischoff to Hogan comes off like Bobby Heenan introducing the narcissist. Every single week, <laughs> when the curtain goes down, yeah. Oh, look! Would you look uh, at those pecs? Yeah. He's so, I just, I think he's so I just, vascular. I, I think I just came. Yeah, he's so vascular. All right. Um, I have a quick question before we move on to Raw. I don't know if we've ever talked about this. I mean, we've talked about how heel Hulk Hogan really was in his whole career. But after Hogan turned and joined the NWO, his promos really didn't change, except for that one when he told the fans to stick it. But his promos were basically the same thing. Oh, his entire character is basically the same thing because even Babyface Hogan was a heel. Right. 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 Like 1980s Hulk Hogan in the WWF, other than than maybe, maybe... I'd say his feud with with Earthquake. Right. He's a heel, and, he, his the, was, and his feud with Slaughter. Yes. Other that. than that, he's a heel. He fucked over his friend uh, Paul Orndorff. He fucked right. over his friend Andre the Giant. 
He <laughs> fucked over his friend Randy Savage. Yeah, he fingered his wife. For <laughs> he fucked over Sid Sid Vicious. I mean, the whole time, the whole Hulk Hogan was a fucking heel when he was the biggest baby face in the world. So yeah, absolutely, you there's know, not much. And then change. you you look at or you just Rest mentioned track. all those WWE happenings between the the late seventies into the nineties when he leaves to WCW. And if you yeah, look oh, at it, they yeah, basically and not retained... to mention, not to mention, sorry, he fucked over Bret Hart at WrestleMania nine. <laughs> right, and Yokozuna, he stopped his title ring before he had a chance. Yeah, <laughs> but but my point is, if you look at WCW, they redid everything because he, he got pissed when Savage won World War Three and won the world title, and said he never got eliminated while also helping to eliminate the Giant, which was basically Sid Vicious all over, Sid Justice all over again. You know what I mean? Yeah. And everything it, when 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 Savage beat Flair for the title at Caesar's Palace. He jumped in the ring. He's like, you better give me a title shot, brother. And right. Savage is like, all, all you got to do is become number one contender. How hard is that? Mm-hmm. You, know oh, you, look, you look at the way the way that his character... Oh, excuse me. The funny thing is, it's so funny because when we started this... Sh- I literally... I am pretty sure that as we have gone through this show, I have developed a cold. <laughs> when we started this show, I felt perfectly fine. And for the past like half an hour... I've started coughing. My nose has started running. But anyway, <clears throat> um, uh, Jimmy Hart, you, you know, like when Jimmy Hart joins the Dungeon of Doom, I actually side with Jimmy Hart because pretty much it's right. like, man, Hogan's been making me carry his bags pretty much the whole time. And, like, and, 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 sorry. <clears throat> no, that's right. about, talking about Hogan and WCW, it's like, when um Savage beat Flair, they tried to let like when Savage won the WCW championship. Yeah, Archie just mentioned yeah, just talked about yeah. that. <laughs> they, they tried to recapture like the mega powers thing where they were yeah. like shaking hands and Savage is like, You're out here like you won the belt. Like what the right. <laughs> But yeah, heel Hogan promos were still regular Hogan promos, just with a beard and him every now and then telling the fans they suck. You know, so yeah, that's just the way I feel about it. Yeah, Hogan's a dick. <laughs> so we good guys. We're ready to roll into the next thing. Yep. Yes. I haven't been too incoherent here. Uh, no. And and I apologize that I keep sniffling and muting my microphone. I just told Archie when we started this show, literally I felt fine. And I swear to God, as we've been doing this show, I've gotten a cold. <laughs> like I started coughing and my nose started running. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. All right. So Nitro's over. And we're going to roll into... WWF Raw is War from the same day, which is like I said, July seventh, nineteen ninety seven. We we get a recap video of uh, the heroes' welcome of the Heart Foundation in Canada, Um, and they mention that Raw is War is moving 
more into Canada tonight because um, we're in Edmonton, Alberta. Um, Vince McMahon introduces Bret Hart, who's wearing an Oilers jersey, and the people are losing their goddamn minds. Um, Vince McMahon mentions that Hart gets Taker at SummerSlam, which we're rolling into, which is going to be a great pay-per-view. Um, Brett thanks the people for letting him still be his hero and respecting him. Hart says he's not anti-America, but very, very pro-Canadian and talks politics like healthcare and gun control and racism. He's basically saying that, like, you know, um, we take care of our old here in Canada. We don't have people shooting everybody and everybody loves everybody. And then he promises to remain their hero and in the SummerSlam, which I know Nate likes when Brett says that, um, he'll defeat The Undertaker. And he says if he does not win um, the WWF Championship, he'll never wrestle in America again. And then Brett then brings up um, his brother Owen. Um, and it's mentioned that Owen will face Steve Austin in the SummerSlam. British Bulldog out, he then brings the British Bulldog out next, who will be facing Ken Shamrock in the SummerSlam. And then he brings, um, oh, sorry. Um, then he has them, um, play the Canadian National Anthem. And during it, Steve Austin comes out and attacks them um, with a steel chair. So the gist of it is Brett's face and Taker, Owen's face and Austin, Bulldog's face and Shamrock, and they're all celebrating and they're going off their big victory at the Canadian Stampede. And now we want to hear Oh Canada, and then Steve Austin beats the shit out of him with a chair. <laughs> it's fucking fantastic. Yeah. And that is one of my two favorite Bret Hart verbal ticks. Aaron knows. I love the fact that he didn't do it with any other pay-per-view, but he always called it in, he said, in the SummerSlam. In the SummerSlam. Because the Survivor Series isn't as funny because every, everybody says at the Survivor Series, but nobody says, right. everybody else says at SummerSlam. Brett would always say in the SummerSlam. In the SummerSlam. And he yeah. was the he was the also the one guy that refused to just call Goldberg Goldberg. He always called him Bill Goldberg. Bill Goldberg. Bill Goldberg. Bill Goldberg. <laughs> Bill Goldberg. <laughs> but Gene anyway, was like, Gene was like, you mean Goldberg? Yeah, Bill Goldberg. Goldberg. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't have done it. Then he would have got kicked in the fucking head. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I guess every bill comes with a receipt. <laughs> every every bill comes with a Goldberg. <laughs> but it is a great segment because there's like Brett's super happy at the beginning of it. And um, it sets up what's going on in the SummerSlam. But it ends with Brett 
and Owen and Bulldog getting a little bit of comeuppance of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it sets up Steve. It sets up the the um the snake of Steve being the heel during the show. Not so much with the people watching, but the crowd. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it, it was a good way to set up the beginning of the show. Um during the break, uh, they 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 show um, something during the when they come back from commercial of Steve beating up the hearts. They show that like the Heart Foundation say that's not going to go unpunished. Um, the opening match is um, a rematch from last from the last pay per view, like yesterday. Um, it's Takamichinoku versus the Great Sasuke. Um, Brian Christopher comes out and sits in on commentary. Um, we'll we'll go through a little bit of the action. The match Sasuke hits a um, a flying senton over the top rope, which is impressive. Um, Brian Christopher calls uh, Sasuke the grand Sh- the great shampoo the best they can come up with. Um, um, Taka, he botches a little bit on a springboard, um, but uh, Sasuke catches him. Taka then hits an Asahi Moonsault, which was impressive. Then they do some more shit. Taka ends up hitting the driver, but ends up missing a Moonsault. And then Sasuke hits a handspring dive to the arena floor and then great Sasuke hits his move and I'm not sure what they called it, but what I wrote down because I don't know the exact name of the move because I don't watch. I feel like MJF. I don't watch Japan shit. I don't. Yeah. I don't pretend to watch Japanese wrestling. Yeah, so I I assume he hit, and I wrote this down, the Thunder Monkey Fire Tusami Bomb number six. Makes as much sense as anything else. All right. So that's what he hit. Yeah, what the hell is a Huna Conrado? I, think I know what a Huna Conrado is. No, it's a, it's a fucking Frankensteiner, plain and simple. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Will Osprey does 15 Thunder Monkeys per match. So <laughs> he is Thunder Monkey. Yes, Thunder <laughs> Monkey Will Osprey. Um. um anyway, um, we get a recap of the storyline between Crush, Farouk, and Savio Vega, and then. We roll into our next match, which is Savio Vega with the Las Mariquas versus Crush with the DOA. Um, yeah. Um, Man, I love Savio, but this shit was so boring. Yeah. I, I, love, I, was just, I love both of them. I love Brian Adams. Yeah. Uh, look, I'll, I'm going to say something here. I, I enjoyed the Nation of Domination. I thought they were a great team when they came together finally with D'Lo and Mark Henry and even when Owen Hart joined it was made it even better but 
who was the worst of the other two factions, DOA or Los Periquas? Oh, DOA. DOA is goddamn boring. Yeah. Like, and, and again, I like Crush too, but that right. faction is just so no, boring. The Harris <laughs> and Brian Lee just couldn't get over in WWE, especially as eight ball chains and skull. When I go back, when I go back and watch this stuff, if they're on, I'm fa- I fast forward through that. Like yeah. I do modern yeah. shit. Like I do not want to watch those guys. And the funny thing is, I'm not a big fan of the Harris brothers, but Crush and Brian Lee individually, I love them. I think they're great. Yeah, no, no, right? No, they were but fantastic. As a faction, they just fucking stunk, man. They yeah, were stunk to high heavens. Yeah, it's so boring. I, anyway. I always thought if they wanted to troll The Undertaker when he became the American Badass, have DOA roll out one night behind him without him knowing and just see what he does. Because essentially, DOA was the precursor to the American Badass character. Yeah. You know? <laughs> just Taker knew how to do it. Um, well, Savio ends up wearing this match. Mm-hmm. It's... it's it, he, um, uh, Crush gets uh, DQ'd. <laughs> but it's not the highlight of the match. The highlight of the match is the commentary. Because the DOA rides out and Jerry Lawler asks Vince McMahon and JR, he's like, do you guys smell that? Is that gas fumes? And JR goes, nah, King, it's probably your upper lip. <laughs> oh God! Oh God! <laughs> so that was funny to me. Young me was too under was too young to understand that at sixteen years old. <laughs> but Savio has beat Crush by a DQ. Um. Then we go to a backstage interview. And it's uh, Michael Cole interviewing Paul Bear. Paul Bear says he has nothing to apologize. Sorry, it's not Michael Cole. It's Vince. Um, Paul Bear. Paul Bear. Paul Bear. Who's Paul Bear? Anyway, the little guy from ECW. Paul Varlins. Yeah, Varlins. There you go. That was a guy that got. Was was gonna get head from Missy, and then she was like, "I don't yep. do jobbers after yep. That's one of my <laughs> fucking wrestling stories ever. <laughs> Put that guy over, okay? And then he goes and loses, and she's like, "I don't blow." I'm ready, Missy. No, I don't. I don't. I don't do. I don't do that. <laughs> one of the greatest fucking stories ever. But we get a backstage <laughs> interview with Paul Bear. And he says he has nothing to apologize for. And Vince McMahon asks him um, why we should believe him. And Paul Bearer says um, parts of um, Kane are burnt, but some some are fine. And that he can't. I don't. Sorry, I got a little lost here. Basically, what he's saying is that. Um, you should believe him, but he can't um, bring Kane because some of Kane's body is burnt. But some of it's okay, and he can't necessarily bring Kane out into the sun. Um, 
and the only thing that is keeping Kane alive is the thought of revenge with the Undertaker. I love the Kane storyline. And I know you said like it got convoluted when when Russo took it over, but there's still now at the beginning of it trying to figure out how we went from he got burnt up, you know. It was all in his head. <laughs> to, okay, this kid got fucking like hot dogged to how can we figure out how he's grown and can now have his body burnt but still be able to get out. You, you, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like they're piecing all this shit together. Like the initial story is great. And Rousseau went off the rails with it. But even here, they're still trying to figure out how do we get this fucking... Like, we thought of this great idea, but how do we get this fucking guy in the building? It's all... And, and, and that's where you have to give credit to um, people in what they call creative services. Because that becomes... And that's why... That's another one of the reasons, and I know I'm putting them over again, but I really like him. It's another reason, another, another thing I love about Brian Solomon's show. I like when he brings on the people that worked behind the scenes with him in WWE and those creative services people, because that's when they go, okay, here's the character. Here's the story. What's Watch the outfit going to look like? Yeah. Okay. Well, we've said he's partially burned. So how about no sleeve on this side, but he's got a sleeve and a glove on this side. You know what I mean? Like that's the brilliance yeah. of what those people do is they take that insane wrestling booking and have to make it make sense, you know? Yeah. And so so me trying to explain what was going on here didn't sound ignorant. You know what I mean? It's just like, like William Moody's trying to be like, well, he's half burned and the sun's bad. And I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like he's trying to make chicken salad out of chicken shit, you know? <laughs> and these guys are sitting back there like, what? Like, this shit's crazy. Like, the Kane, it's the most insane character ever. See, I agree with you 100%, as crazy as it sounded with everything Colbert was saying. But the creative team that put it all together Whatever Paul Bearer said is exactly what we saw when Kane debuted. Oh, I get that. It was, it was, you know what I mean? It was to the T, like Nate said, half an arm, one arm not covered, the, whole, the rest of his body covered. The mask, the hair, the eyes, one of them being albino. You know, everything that we saw from that came to fruition, that Paul was talking about came to fruition. So kudos to them because whatever we were imagining is what we got. Yeah. And I agree with that. And like I said, like there's been a lot of crazy shit that's come out of the WWF. Right. But that Kane character is the most insane fucking character that's ever existed. Like for from like '98 to what? When did he, when did he take his mask off? 06? 2003. 2003. So, so '98. Two thousand three. Then he took his mask off. He's like, he's been wearing a fucking crazy wig the whole time. Right. It was all in his fucking mind. Like he wasn't even burnt. 
what the fuck? And then the character got even better after that. Most guys lose yeah. their mask and it's like, okay, we can't do anything with him anymore. He was perfect after that. Now he's more insane. Right. What the fuck is going on? Right. And now he's a mayor. Right. <laughs> the American dream. Yes. Um, so, uh, like I said, Paul gives us a little bit of description of, of Kane coming up, and then we roll into a tag team. Um, uh, sorry, we roll into the tag team tournament finals. It's the Nation of Domination, Farouk and Neil Brown, which was supposed to be Farouk and Ahmed Johnson versus Owen Hart and the British Bulldog. And when I say tag team tournament finals, it's not um, the winners are the tag team champions. These ones are um, who's going to be able to face Steve Austin and a partner of his choosing because Shawn Michaels is hurt. Steve Austin says he doesn't care who his partner is. Um, and um, that mankind doesn't deserve to be his partner. Um, obviously, the hearts are working as the faces in this match against the Nation of Domination, just because the Nation of Domination are regular heels and they're in Canada. Um, Bulldogs work in the Morton Sport, Morton Sport, Morton Spot where he's um, selling a lot, trying to get the hot tag to Owen. Owen finally tags into a huge pop. Everyone's brawling ringside, (laughs) um, but Owen ends up beating the count. And um, Owen and Bulldog win the match via count out against the Nation of Domination. Um, Post-match, Mankind has a verbal comment confrontation with the hearts. That's how it goes. So Owen and Bulldog are going into um, the match against Steve Austin and a partner of his choosing next week on Raw. Did I lose you guys on that? Sorry. No. Lord have mercy. Yes. Ow. Yes. So that's what we're going to get. Um, then Steve Austin ends up cutting a promo on Triple H in China because they're going to be facing next. Um, so the next match we get is Steve Austin versus Triple H with China. Um, Steve Austin comes out. He blows his nose on the announce tables cloth and like steals Vince McMahon's water. Like he's he's basically antagonizing Jim Ross and Vince McMahon. Um, Triple H and Steve are lighting it up. Um, and Triple H is bouncing like a Super Bowl for Steve Austin. Um, China puts a chair um, on the ring and um, oh, sorry. Steve Austin and Triple H are having their match. Um China gets involved, but Steve Austin kind of kicks her away. Um, Triple H goes to hit Austin, but Mankind runs out and takes the chair shot instead. Austin then gets a stunner on Triple H, and 
Steve Austin wins via pinfall. So what the story was, was um, I kind of got lost in the lost in the sauce there, but Triple H tried to hit Austin with a chair and Mankind interjected himself and it took the chair and Steve got the stunner on Triple H, pinned him. And then post-match, um, Austin tells Mankind to get his ass in the ring and says that he will team with Mankind. And then they hug. And Steve's just like, oh, I love you, man. And Mick's like, oh, I love you, too. And, and then guess what happens? Mm, I don't know. Austin stuns <laughs> and tells him that he sucks and um, he'll never team with a one-eyed, long-haired, stupid freak like him. And Mankind says, drastic measures have taken him to the extreme and he will um, um, do whatever he has to do with basically... Um, Mankind says drastic measures will, will be taken and the WWF will never um, see me again and neither will Mankind. Like, like he's basically said Steve Austin just ran Mankind out of the business. This is what he's saying. Um, sorry if that sounded stupid. Um, You're good. Yeah. And then Sonny comes out, which is fantastic. Um, and she's in oh, that. You silver... want me? Yeah, she comes out in her silver dress. Um, if anybody's our age, they understand what silver dress I'm talking about. Yes. Um, footage of Brian Christopher and Jerry Lawler beating up Scott Pusky. Is shown, and they mention that um, Ivan and Scott Pusky have challenged Lawler and Christopher for the upcoming um, pay per view. And then Brian Christopher <laughs> is going to face Eric Shelley, who is representing Canada. Um, so the next match is Brian Christopher versus Eric Shelley. Um, Where do I, where, what, what was this joke? Sorry, I got to read this joke. Nate, you can edit this out a little bit. It's not a funny joke. This is a, I don't know if this is a funny joke. Tell me this is a funny joke. Um, Lawler, Lawler says, "Do you know how you got a? Do you know how you got a fax from a Pollock? How? It has a stamp on it. <laughs> is that a funny joke? It is. It is. By Jerry Lawler's standards, it's not as funny, but it is a funny joke, in my opinion." <laughs> I 
This is a funny joke, though. This is funny just because I like it. Um, um, Ross says that um, um, Ivan Ivan Pusky's move is a Polish hammer, and then uh, Lawler says, I didn't know they let senile old people use tools. The other joke was better. Yeah. I agree. Sorry, this, <laughs> these jokes are dumb. Sorry. Anyway, edit, edit that, that shitty poll jokes out. They're not funny. Anyway, um, Brian Christopher ends up beating that guy, that Alex, that Eric Shelley guy. Um, and then Lawler and, and Christopher beat him up. And then Vince McMahon interviews Steve Austin about um, um, being handcuffed at the Canadian Stampede and flipping everybody off. Austin once again says um, he doesn't give a shit about who his partner is and says... Um, um, Gorilla Monsoon um, will ex execute exercise his right to select a partner, which Austin says good because Gorilla Monsoon has never exercised in the last 35 years. <laughs> Austin says if he can't be, and then Austin, oh, sorry, then Austin says if he can't be Owen Hart at SummerSlam. Um, Owen can pull down his panties and he'll kiss his ass. So they're basically setting up um, the fact that Austin um, doesn't. Austin has to pick a partner for the main event next week to defend against. Um, Owen and Bulldog, and he doesn't want a partner. But if Gorilla Monsoon, Gorilla Monsoon's insisting that he has to have a partner, so he'll go into that match and is basically saying he'll defend with whoever he has to defend with, and then going into his going into his SummerSlam match against Owen for the Intercontinental Championship if. Owen defeats him he'll kiss his ass. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. All right. And um, the main event of Raw is Bret Hart versus Goldust. Um, Bret Hart ends up knocking Goldust out to the ring early. Um, the Hearts come out, but then the DOA come out. Tag team Boo. come out to watch um, Babyface Goldust, who I think is boring. Um, and then um, the Hearts come out to back down the DOA, and then Ken Shamrock and the LOD come out to back them down, and then Austin comes out as well, and all of them start rolling around the ringside and Brett ends up reversing a sunset flip on gold dust and pinning him one, two, three, and it goes off the air with 
all the heels and all the all the main heels and all the main babies calling and Bret Hart being victorious over Goldust. A, pa- a passable, a passable episode of Raw. Yeah, was another night to celebrate the Hearts. Next week's going to be fantastic. Well, it's possibly going to be next. Next week's going to be okay. On, on on Raw and Nitro might be good, but this show you might not say is fantastic. No, this show is this show. But this show? <laughs> no. You're saying, oh, next week will be great. You're talking about the Raw and the, and the Nitro. I'm talking about Raw for sure. Okay, well, the next thing we're going to discuss is a WCW pay-per-view. It's Bash at the Beach. Oh, well. Yes. Okay, so that may or may not be fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, I'd say... I'd say um, it was it was like zero sum this week between the two shows. Like neither one of them were, eh. <laughs> you know. I mean, neither one of them were bad, but neither one of them were like that was a great fucking show. Yeah, right. They were there. They were fine. I enjoyed them, and I enjoyed both shows. And I didn't give either one of them justice because I kind of stirred through a few of them, but. I, I enjoyed both shows, and I think, and, and it's like beating a dead horse when I say it, but 97, both shows were hitting at all their cylinders. You know what I mean? Because they were competing against each other. Like, WCW was great because they were doing their best business, and Vince started doing great because he was... <laughs> He was feeling his back against the wall, and that's when Vince McMahon does his best fucking work. Yep. So before, before, and I don't want to keep, I don't want to keep you guys too long. And actually, I don't want, I just, I don't know what the fuck happened over the past hour and a half to my fucking body. But anyway, <laughs> um, while it's topical, because I'm thinking of it, I know that's not what this show is about. But some, you know, sometimes we're recording a show and it's like, oh, this is topical. I want to bring it up so I don't forget to bring it up on another show. <clears throat> if you guys already did, we don't have to talk about it. It's fine. But did you see the Ariel Hawani interview with Undertaker? Not yet. No. Where he talked about Brock not needing to be the guy to beat him. That too. But the most interesting part to me about the interview is, yes, he said Brock. He didn't He didn't think Brock needed to be the guy to beat him, but he was going to do what Vince asked him to do. He would have rather they waited and let him. He would have rather lost the streak to Roman. But the two most interesting things to me were, first of all, Archie. Mm-hmm. And Aaron, I don't know if you read this or not. He mentioned that at WrestleMania 24, Vince wanted Edge to end the streak and Edge refused. Yes. Yeah, I read that. that. And do you know who one of the other people? Vladimir Kozlov. Yeah, Vladimir Kozlov. I was like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah, at one point he was considered to be. And then he would have like soft locked out. (laughs) That would have been bad. Damn. Yeah, I didn't know if you guys had seen it or read any of it, so I just wanted to, you know, since you did, since you did, we don't have to do like a reaction, but. 
Yeah. I knew about the Edge bit of news because Edge mentioned it on a shoot interview once that they offered him to, to be Taker. And he's like, oh, hell no. No, I'm not going to be the one to beat the streak. And even Taker came to him and said, look, if they're looking to push you and you need that you need this win, then yeah, go ahead, take the streak. And I was like, no, I don't need the win. I could get over with something else. Yeah, and I think he also mentioned you know? at one point, I think he also mentioned at one point they were considering pulling the trigger with Orton too. Well, it would have made some more sense with Orton. Orton would have been all right. Yeah. The whole, you know, legend killer gimmick and mm -hmm. the feud he had with Taker and Bob was involved. It might have, it would have made more sense. You know, the only yeah. way I would have wanted Orton, and this, this sounds stupid. It probably sounds stupid. <laughs> you know what I would have wanted Orton to do? What? When he beat him. Like, you know when, when Brock beat him? When Brock beat Taker, like, Paul was like, oh, my God. And, and like, Brock was, like, shocked, too. You know, like, I just did that. If Orton would have beat him, you know what I would have, you know what I would have told Orton to do? Mm. Just stand up and just spit on him. <laughs> like, um. like, like, I don't think it would have hurt Taker's character. Mm. You know what I mean? But it would have mm -hmm. made, it would have made Orton even a bigger. Oh, a definitely. It's like if you can if you can spit in Harley Race's face, spit on the fucking Undertaker when he's down. Imagine that fucking crowd. That crowd wouldn't have been that crowd wouldn't have been fucking Ivan Koloff quiet. No, because it uh, wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been as long. Right. You know, right? Yeah. Like if Orton hits the RKO, pins him, and then just spits in his face, <laughs> that would have lost right. fucking minds. But yeah, Vlad. I'm a Vlad fan. I'm not gonna lie, but Vladimir Kozlov. No. <laughs> he wasn't the guy. He yeah. wasn't the guy. All right. That that's uh, that was just. I wanted to discuss. We can we can sign off now. I just wanted to. Like I said, it was in my brain. It was fresh. It was topical, and I just wanted to bring it up so I didn't forget to bring it up at some point. Yeah. And we want to thank the dog for being on this week's edition of Yes, that was. thank you, dog. His name is Boomer. I know his name is Boomer, but... <laughs> thank you, Boomer. He's my only black friend. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Mark for deletion. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, get us out of here so I can go take some fucking Sudafed or something. Oh, it is my show. Sorry. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot. Nate needs to edit on this. So I'm sorry, Nate. But thank you guys um, for joining me today. And also, um, thanks for listening to all the shows that are produced on the um, WrestleNet Radio. And like I said, next week we'll be discussing Great American Bash um, 1997. Um, we'll find out who the Impact player is and. Um, Thanks for listening along, guys. And gals. And trams and fucking furries. Whoever's listening, I appreciate it. I did hear you're big in the furry population. <laughs>